Good morning, afternoon, or evening to our listeners who have tuned in for our fifth episode of The Artful Nutmeg. We have a fun episode today where we are looking at El Clasico. You might not know about El Clasico, the classic rivalry between Real Madrid and Barcelona, both teams in Spain. But don't worry, we have an introduction for anyone not familiar with the term. I am one of your hosts, Tom Ferguson, and with me is our other host, Daniel Wise. Daniel, how's it going? I'm doing really well. Uh, It's really funny how we kind of planned this out because I was like, we are very... um, uh, Anglo-centric uh, in, in some yeah. ways with this show. So I thought it would be a good idea to dive into El Clasico. It was an idea that you had um, kind of very early on when we were discussing this show. I was like, yeah, that that sounds great. But, you know, I'd like to say that I plan to have this ready to go by the next El Clasico which just happened, but that's not at all how how it happened. I was just, you know, hey, let's do this. And then it just happened that Real and Barcelona just played uh, this last Wednesday. Yeah, and it was quite a game. Uh, do we want to go into that game first or get into the setup of El Clasico? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, if you want to just kind of touch briefly on it, uh, sort of like the... Uh, I guess the 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 match itself or, or sort of the significance of it besides, you know, just being El Clasico. Sure. So uh, Wednesday's match, which is depending on the day that you're listening on, could be a day ago or two days ago. You know, we this was the second leg of one of the main cups in Spain, also known as Copa del Rey. This is a two legged semifinal where in the first match, Barcelona, playing away from home, got a 1-0 lead, which was huge, being able to go and do that in Madrid. And coming back on Wednesday to Barcelona, there was a shock score led behind a Benzema hat trick, where Real Madrid won 4-0 to beat Barcelona at the camp now. I mean, that's a pretty crazy line. That is insane and uh, sort of one off from kind of a a famous scoreline that's been kind of talked about uh, throughout the history of the rivalry, uh, the the five five nil against the eternal rivals. So uh, very, very close uh, for for kind of turning it, turning that against uh, Barcelona there. Yeah, I mean, for this to happen for any for any team in soccer or in the sports world losing at home is a bad thing losing mm-hmm. by four scores to your biggest ever rival is uh is pretty bad there there were a lot of reports actually about chance for Lionel Messi i know that Barcelona yep. fans are desperate to have him come back and that's that's been a whole saga this past week. Uh, apparently, a, a Saudi club was offering somewhere around four hundred and fifty million dollars uh, for him. Um, Ridiculous. And, and I think that's just I, I'm not sure yeah, that might have been transfer fee or that might have been total contract. I, think, I don't I think know. That was his uh, his wages. That was it. OK. So th- through the course of his contract, uh, a half a billion euro not Whatever. bad. Not bad. <laughs> not bad at all. 
But uh, when we talk about when we talk about Barcelona and Real Madrid, of course, we have to go back to history. So the beginning of El Clasico. The Clasico mm-hmm. is, of course, the meeting of Real Madrid and Barcelona, probably the two most successful Spanish teams. Now, this dates all the way back to 1902. So we're talking yeah. about over 100 years of rivalry. And, and what's I interesting mean, about that is in 1902 is it it really just started out as a series of friendly matches. There was no, you know, sort of La Liga. It was um, a, a Copa del Spe- uh, Co- Co- uh, Copa del España or something like that. It was it was just a sort of like yeah, exhibitions. Essentially, yes. Uh, just, you know, teams that were uh, competing to be kind of like the best of Spain. It was, um, you know, whether it was I, it might have been a tur- tournament group stage. However, I didn't do a ton of digging into what that was. Uh, but no, it was essentially, yeah, a lot of like friendly exhibitions to eventually name a, a winner of Spain. That's pretty amazing. And so in their professional matches that they have had together this is out of 154 professional meetings barcelona has 102 wins real madrid has 100 wins including wednesday's match mm-hmm. and they currently sit at 52 ties which is i mean that's pretty close for 100 years of sport it's really nuts. And uh, I do have an article uh, set up in the show notes where it, it breaks it down further, where like between the two teams, like they're over 400 goals apiece uh, for them. So like they're just always super high scoring affairs. They they really uh, full send in these matches. In fact, um, one of the biggest El Clasico wins was in June 1943 when Madrid won 11 to one. Ugh, that's, yeah. that's pretty insane. And, you know, kind of going back, uh, you know, talking about the uh, five nil wins, uh, the the term that was coined is La Manita or five goals against the eternal rivals. And so that is something that, yeah, Barca fans like really look towards. Uh, Johan Cruyff had a famous five, nothing win. Uh, I want to say in 1973, uh, when he was, uh, playing for the team. And then he came back, coached them in the nineties, uh, and, and had another stunning win as well during that period. Yes, so some other fun facts about El Clasico, of course, is, of course, that this is annually one of the largest viewed sporting events in the world. We're talking World Series, Super Bowl, El Clasico. Yeah. Now, in the Spanish League, this is crazy. In sort of the modern era of of soccer that we've had, in leagues, it's normal to see your team go from you know, first place, the fifth place, maybe even drop as low as 10th. Since 2005, so that is, what is that, 18 years ago? Yep. Neither of these teams have achieved worse than third place. Which is is really nuts, uh, because 
I don't know what that says about the teams or what that says about La Liga. Uh, La Liga is is a fun league to watch. I especially remember uh, spending time uh, at my little little Spanish uh, uh, laundromat back in D.C. You know, they always had uh, matches on. And, and especially if it was El Clasico, like that was on and people people were watching. So, you know, it is a fun league to watch. It is competitive, but um, I don't know what that says because, you know, those teams are so dominant. But what's also super interesting is that both of them are essentially fan supported. They are not kind of like these billionaire outfits. Uh, They really are, you know, decisions made are... largely made through fan, you know, voice and, and support, you know, they're kind of, uh, you know, voting shares essentially of the clubs. Yeah. And I find that so interesting with clubs, how to have this sort of idea of fan ownership, which I think is a really cool system. I know it's the, I think it's called the 51 to 49 rule, um, Mm -hmm. largely, largely used in the Bundesliga, of course, with clubs like Bayern Munich and Dortmund. But that's something that, especially in England, you don't see at all. Um, I don't think in the Premier League there is a fan-owned club, actually. But, of course, you'll always hear stories about teams that are getting takeovers, such as Newcastle United, getting new owners, such as Chelsea, with Todd Bowley coming in uh, over the Mm -hmm. summer. So it's very interesting to see, you know, what effect that, these fan ownerships have on their team. And of course, if you own part of the team, you're invested fully. Yeah. And, you know, in, in a way that really lends to uh, the identity of these teams is that they are very closely tied uh, to the people who support them, uh, just not only on a sporting level, but on a political and societal level. Uh, the the new camp or camp now, uh, it was essentially built for these fans and, and they, you know, everything's been kind of like centered for them uh, in Barcelona. Now to kind of break that down a little bit, you can essentially think of it as uh, right wing and left wing, you know, you know, sort of hmm. the popular uh, dichotomy in politics. Uh, but this goes back to roughly the 1930s with the rise of General Francisco Franco, uh, who led kind of like this people's movement, you know, where he was a very brutal militaristic dictator. Right. Uh, but there's there's a complicated kind of legacy to that that I can kind of get into a little bit later. But at the same time, you have Barcelona, which is kind of like essentially the national team of Catalonia, which is, you know, sort of a very large portion of northeastern Spain. Um, for them, you know, those people desire independence. Uh, I can equate it a little bit to how um, things are for D.C., uh, the District of Columbia, where people, you know, we we can vote, you know, but we t- pay taxes without proper uh, representation in Congress. Uh, DC would not like a word. Super, 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not super privy to like the details of of kind of like the Spanish um, political landscape. But essentially they want to, you know, have their own voice or, you know, kind of do what they feel is best for Catalonia. You know, they have their own language. They have their own customs. You know, for the Franco Spain, it's it's hyper militaristic hyper Catholic. It is like a lot of stuff, you know, and, and primarily looking for the economic benefit of, you know, businesses. And then the government is heavily centralized to sort of progress that. Whereas, you know, in Catalonia, it is a little more, uh, I, I, I won't venture to say socialist, but it it is definitely a more uh, left-leaning uh, sort of landscape over there. Uh, so for those two, you know, they are hugely linked within each other. And, you know, a lot of times Barcelona uh, fans, you know, they they bemoan uh, the Di Stefano uh, sort of legacy back in the 50s when, you know, uh, he was a great footballer who both clubs were going for. And there's a little bit of a conspiracy that Franco had stepped in to essentially cut off Barcelona and bring Di Stefano to uh, Real. Uh, you know, and, and they also talk a lot about, uh, you know, max match fixing or even, you know, ref, uh, terrible referees who, you know, had more of a bias uh, towards Real Madrid. However, this past year with uh, investigations under UEFA, it's turning out that for the past 15 years or so, <laughs> yeah. uh, Barcelona has been linked to uh, influencing referees. Uh, so that is just kind of a wild, wild thing. We're not sure exactly like what comes of that, if anything, but it's something that UEFA is seriously investigating. So there are some really twisty, turny, you know, routes to to La Liga and, and both these teams. And like you said, it's 100 years of footy and there's just so much that's baked into it. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting because you kind of you kind of touch base on this, that Barcelona really does seem to be uh, the national team of Catalonia, whereas the national team, you know, there's also the national team of Spain. And that that yeah. brings me back to uh, I believe it was Luis Enrique. No, it wasn't Luis Enrique. Mm-hmm. Apologize for that. But the the coach of the Spanish national team was about to become the coach of uh, I believe Real Madrid or Barcelona, one of the two. And of course, the players yeah. on the Spain team of the rival immediately were like, we will not play with you. This is right before the 2018 World Cup. And that coach ended up having to step down about, you know, a couple of weeks before the tournament even began. And so you can just tell that how much, even on the world stage, how much that rivalry and how much of an importance it has. And that's, yeah, and, and Spain did not have a sterling world cup performance. I think, you know, I mean, actually the past couple of world world cups have been rough considering, you know, just how dominant they were, you know, kind of like in the, uh, late, late two thousands, early 2010s, uh, era. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, they won. They won the Euros in two thousand eight. They won the World Cup in two thousand ten, and then I yep. think they won the Euros again in two thousand twelve. I want to say that sounds about right. And yep. then twenty fourteen, not really anything. 2016, not really anything. 2018, not yeah. really anything. Uh, I it was definitely, it was definitely a massive drop off for Spain in general in terms of we hear about teams going through, especially national teams going through their generations, and of course, a sure. uh, massive generation of that was the Xavi Iniesta midfield generation. The, the the golden age of La Masia is um, wild. Yeah, the, the players who came up through that youth system. And I mean, they were it was almost like they were exclusively um, bred uh, for for winning the World Cup. Like essentially that Spanish team was just the Barcelona national team. <laughs> like uh, exactly everyone who. It was just about anyone who was on, you know, Barca was on that squad. And yeah, they just absolutely dominated. Yes. So from going from there, uh, what do you think? Should we talk about some of our favorite matches, some of the famous matches between these two clubs? For sure. And in, in these are definitely more recent, uh, you know, just kind of coming off our, our main, you know, sort of exposure to El Clasico. But I do have a really interesting article that kind of goes through uh, the different eras. So I can kind of just breeze through that. Yeah, so that. in 1929, you had the first uh, ever El Clasico, uh, which was a Madrid uh to win two to one. Um, then you, in 1940s, you had a, a big swing in Madrid's uh, favor. Uh, 1959, you had the first ever televised El Clasico. 60s was dominant with Real Madrid. Uh, 1970s, Barcelona was back at it. And then um, 1986, it was Madrid all over again. So it was like one of those things where like they traded a bit here and there. But one once the 90s and uh, early aughts came around, I mean, that's where, yeah, uh, Barcelona hit a turning point, especially with Ronaldinho coming in. I mean, it was just lights out at the, after that point. Yeah, I was having this conversation with my roommate, actually, who is a Barcelona fan. And we were talking about, you know, what was the golden age of this rivalry? And I would probably say it was... You know, the late 2000s to the mid 2010s was probably when this golden age was, you know, probably about yeah. 10 years of that. It was it was the La Masia system versus the Galacticos. And it was um, just you, you again, you know, kind of looking at the dichotomy between these two teams, you had homegrown town of Barcelona uh, versus just the big money spends uh, from Real Madrid in that time. Right. I guess we should get that for the viewers. Of course, La Masia was uh, the academy for Barcelona mm -hmm. players, players that brought out uh, talents such as Xavi, Iniesta, Lionel Messi, in fact. Um, right now, some more common names are Pedri and Gavi. And then, of mm -hmm. course, we had the Galacticos, which were... The great signings during the times of the late 2000s, 
Uh, that would include even David Beckham. Uh, you would have Zinedine Zidane, Cristiano Ronaldo, Xavi mm-hmm. Alonso, Sergio Ramos, of course. And so you had this you had this weird match of two different systems of growing growing your own team academy style and then yep. the splurge of money <laughs> from uh and, real madrid and that's so wild like yeah you know the galacticos in that time i mean the figures that were being tossed around i mean you know 100 million you know 100 you know whatever uh those figures were they were um just just indescribable at the time like you know for the most part you know big money spends were in the you know maybe 20 to 40 million range uh but you know the way that real just opened the the purse and spent just to lock down these players uh was crazy and it really kind of ushered in sort of what we see in the modern sport where like yeah i mean it's sort of a hundred million is is what you benchmark. see almost every transfer yeah yeah it's now it's now the benchmark i mean it's crazy and the big thing for real madrid was they were probably the team that started using leverage of the spanish banks at the time which was yeah. why they were able to you know these early chaotic <laughs> sums to bring up to be able to get whatever player they want basically it, it's sort of like when you play uh fifa career mode with a good team and they tell you uh-huh. you have like 600 mil to spend for the summer <laughs> and you're yep. just like okay i guess i can get whoever i want it's it's crazy um do you want to kind of get into sort of like these recent famous matches sort of starting uh in the 2013-14 era where you saw uh kind of like kind of a new stock of players coming in especially the likes of christian bale yeah so honestly this is probably one of my favorite matches i remember seeing this one uh live this was the Copa del Rey final, so this was the you know largest cup that Spain offers, and this was a game that Real Madrid beat Barcelona two to one. Some of the names on this list of players involved is crazy. Uh, we've got Xavi, Iniesta, Fabregas, Messi, Neymar, Danny Alves. And then we've Cristiano Ronaldo was out for this game, but that doesn't mean they were lacking talent. I mean, they had Gareth Bale, who was probably at the at the prime of his his career at this yep. year. Xavi Alonso, uh, the great center back pairing of Sergio Ramos and Pepe. Yep. And then, of course, Modric, who's somehow still playing at age 39, like he just runs Fountain the game of youth. Yeah. yeah, and uh, Di Maria. And yeah. so this game started off with a goal from Di Maria first, who got a nice through ball through. Came yep. through and did a nice pass to the far post, of course. Now, a lot of yep. Classicos are like this, but no, Classico is perfect without a good uh, little bit of fighting, of course, in it. So, of course, Neymar... And the left back of Real Madrid, then uh, Fabio Contrao, 
They got into a little bit of a head-to-head where Neymar, you know, sort of jutted forward and headbutts Contral. And then Contral mm-hmm. goes ahead and puts his uh, finger in Neymar's mouth, like fish, fish hooks him. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. And, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. And uh, so for some reason, I mean, in VAR days, that they'd both be gone. Yes. But this was, this was back then before we were reviewing at everything. And uh, later, though, Barca, of course, got back into the game with a goal off of a corner from a young and promising center back named Bartha, who surprisingly yep. did not actually take off. He was a bit of a Phil Jones uh, for Barcelona. He now plays in the Turkish league for Trapsnador, I think it is. Yep, that sounds vaguely correct. Yeah, I was I was rooting for that guy, but Real Madrid won that game off of the speed and if you're familiar with the with the play, the goal, it was off of that goal from Gareth Bale in the 85th minute where he kicks the ball and runs outside of the pitch around the defender to around Barta, in fact, to score yeah. the winner. And this happened from like half field where it was just man versus man right down. And he absolutely blows him away. Um, if you've I mean, never seen the video, I, I yeah. suggest going and so watch I, that. I will definitely put that in the show notes, but just to kind of illustrate it further. So, you know, uh, Barcelona was bringing the ball up on, on the left, uh, touch line and, um, they had a cross go in. It, it was a little bing bang kind of, you know, as it was, uh, going across to the, the other side and, you know, uh, Barcelona tried keeping it, but it got poked away, uh, by Modric, I think. And then, um, yes. So, uh, Bale takes it. And just to, you know, kind of give a good view, he essentially passes it to nobody. You know, it's one of those kind of lead on where, you know, you kick the ball and you get that good sprint line. But uh, Bartra had actually, yeah, bumped him out of bounds and they both start going. Bartra has a good maybe like three foot head start on him. And, but Bale had such uh explosive speed and and explosive speed that he could sustain that yeah he takes kind of a crescent shape meets back with the ball and then just kind of got it uh under under the keeper i want to say it was pinto at the time uh just yeah, just a cheeky little just just a duper <laughs> that's just, a very just technical pure, term. like i don't know what i'm doing with this just Hit it, hit roll it, it. Yeah. yeah, and and just uh, I I got the one um, with with these Spanish announcers who are clearly uh, real uh, announcers, and after he scores, they just go ballistic like I've never heard. And I mean, I've I've heard you know those those uh, calls you know from down in Mexico, but like the absolute um, kind of. Pandemonium screams that they were pulling out was incredible. And like that just kind of shows you how huge that match is. Like those moments of drama are just massive. And like you were saying with Batra, I think it was that moment that kind of killed his career and, and <laughs> <Yeah>. sent him <laughs> back in. 
Oh, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's probably one of my favorite goals. Just yep. because it's sheer will and I know I love goals that have a lot of skill, but yeah, that goal was just sheer like I'm gonna do it because I can work harder than you. And I yeah, I absolutely love it. Now you did have one uh kind of before that, the twenty thirteen fourteen La Liga, the four three. Was this sort of around the time where like was it Suarez and, and Neymar kinda coming in and they had that three headed, you know, attacking dragon between those three? Was that just Yeah, so this was that? this was the year of this was the same year as that Copa del Rey final, of course. Uh okay, Ronaldo yep. was a big thing about this year was who had the better front three. Uh, so we had, of course, MSN, which was yep. Messi, Suarez, Neymar. And then, of course, we had um, Bale, Benzema, Bale, Benzema, Ronaldo. Yeah. Which um, I always think of every time I say Bale, Benzema, Ronaldo, I think of Beamer, Benzer, Bentley. Um, <laughs> oh, that's that's really good. I love it. But this this game was massive. This was a game that was basically highlighted from the magic that is Lionel Messi and mm-hmm. him truly, truly proving him that year as the current world's best. For sure. So, that, this, yeah, yeah. So this game became a. A crazy, a crazy start with a very early Iniesta, Iniesta goal that was then wiped yep. out by, of course, a Benzema double. And this Benzema, this was back in 2013-14, and he was playing fantastically. And is this year's 2023 Ballon d'Or winner, which is mm-hmm. crazy to think about just how good of a player he is. Now, Messi was able to score just before halftime to make this a 2-2 two two game. And so at half, we're, we're looking at 2-2. Two two. I mean, if you've got tickets, you're at the best game of the year already. For now, sure. This game got even crazier, of course, with a CR7, Cristiano Ronaldo, penalty goal, which we're not quite sure in the VAR days would it be a penalty as he got tripped out of what could have probably been outside the box but of course it was called a penalty and he absolutely smashed it now this followed up with of course with our rivalry here of these two teams that absolutely love to hate each other uh followed by two more penalties including a red card for pepe which were both slotted home from Lionel messi which ended his day at a hat trick along with an assist and mm-hmm. to win the game four to three. And it's probably one of the most exciting games in the last 20 years. I would definitely look that up if you can. You, that's the hilarious thing is that the El Clasico community on YouTube has just, um, buckets of videos available just you know uh, between yeah these two teams uh they there's really a lot of footage out there and and it's it's fun to watch um a unique el clasico that i wanted to touch on was in 2015 it was in november 
It was actually just a very breezy uh, four nothing win um, by Barcelona at the Santiago Bernabeu in Madrid. Uh, but what's interesting about it is the way that Barcelona or uh, Real fans um, reacted with the subbing of Andres Iniesta. Uh, they actually applauded him. Uh, I, it was um, kind of approaching. Uh, might have been his last year or last couple of years um, at Barcelona. Um, but he had a 96% pack ass- pass accuracy, four take-ons, one assist, and one goal. Wow. And it was just one of the best performances that, I mean, anyone's ever seen in El Clasico. And he joined a list of players uh, who have been cheered by... Uh, Real fans. That list includes uh, Diego Maradona in 1983. I've heard of him. And Ro- <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Ronaldinho. So uh, yeah, th- it's it's pretty wild. Uh, you know, despite the fact that like you know these teams and fans hate each other so much that like when when they recognize greatness, they they give it its due. Yeah, I think there's. I think even though there's such heavy rivals and there is a, a level of hatred there there's also of course a level of respect uh, mm-hmm. for you know especially individual players where well I think you know every every rival is probably thinking when they see uh, an amazing player on another team you know I wish I had him but yeah just that respect to you know applaud applaud an opposing player's an opposing player and just to show the gratitude of, you know, showing the beautiful game. Yeah. So from here, I think we need to think about while we're talking about some great players in El Clasico's, there are a few names that top the charts. Of course, Mm -hmm. we can talk about the great Lionel Messi, who is the top scorer in El Clasico history with 26 goals. Is he going to get more? That all depends. I guess, you know, if, if he ends up back there, uh, man, I, between, I, it's really funny. You look at these teams who, at least in recent years, almost seems like they've been flirting with oblivion, uh, during each summer. I mean, I want to say it was back during the pandemic that um, both teams were like in serious financial straits and uh, Barcelona seems to be crawling back uh, Real Madrid through whatever financial shenanigans they're doing. They are still healthy. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's weird because yeah, there's been so much talk about Messi coming to MLS, but you know, I I don't know, I I I don't know what to think about that. What what I, about you? I think we're gonna see Messi. Uh, I think we're gonna see Messi stay at a top team for the next few years. Still, um, he's 36 years old. I could see him staying until he's 38, 39. He can still do mm-hmm. it all. Um, He's, I don't know why he's getting whistled at at PSG games right now. Mainly, like, I guess it's because he's, you know, supposed to be the greatest in the world. But father time happens, people. Um, yeah. He's still putting up numbers 
like it's just because the team yeah. isn't winning every game and when you're PSG you're supposed to win every game because it's not the best league in the world but mm-hmm. I would like to see him go back to Barcelona I think Barcelona would have to drop a lot uh, yeah. maybe sell a couple players mainly because they're financial fair play and the amount that they're in the hole financially is a really big deal. They, you know, haven't been able to fully register some players. I know that Gavi is currently not part of the first team because they uh, went beyond their limits. So he like doesn't have a first team contract. He has a youth player contract on the team right now, so he can go wherever he wants this summer. Yep. So, and I mean, I'm, yeah. Barcelona, I mean, do they need them? They're like, what are they? 12 points clear in La Liga? Like they, you know, with with 11 matches to go, I want to say they probably have it wrapped up. But, you know, uh, is that just sort of something they want to do? Like bring them in, you know, so that they can celebrate, you know, one last uh, you know, sort of title victory with him. I, it's yeah, it's weird. It's a weird situation. Yeah, I mean, I think when he left, with how sudden it was, and it was yeah. like they can't like keep him. That yep. was a shock. I think they want to bring him back. I can tell you from personal history that sometimes bringing back, you know, one of your legends for one more go is uh, it doesn't always work out. Uh, Which we can probably get into when we uh, get into the news. But just to kind of quick wrap this up, you know, uh, found the full stats. So, you know, total wins for Barcelona is 100. Total for Real Madrid, 101, 52 draws. Goals for Barcelona is 415. And Madrid has 420. Nice. But um, home wins for Barcelona is 63. Home wins for Real, 65. That's what makes this incredible is like how even this uh, rivalry is. And it's awesome. Yeah, I don't think you get that type of rivalry anywhere else. No, but I I wanted to, yeah, jump into the news, you know, with with just a bit of time left. But um, a, a legend is uh, in a way returning uh, to his home club, and uh, I'd I'd love to know your thoughts about uh, Frank Lampard uh, getting charged with a caretaker role at at Chelsea. I think it's the funniest, greatest thing that ever could have happened. Um, I mean, it's not like they could be doing worse this season. Um, this is yeah, this is the worst possible season in their minds. They're in 11th place. Yep. The reason they got rid of Potter, I was reading was because they have, um, they have, you know, things in the contract that when, if their team falls into the bottom half of the table, they don't have to pay the full salary on a firing. Wow. So the moment they dropped into 11th, it was just a no brainer for them because you're not exactly expecting to see Chelsea be 11th place, but I I don't think Graham Potter had any chance of doing good with that team. So Chelsea got new ownership 
this this last year, uh, kind of due to the war in Ukraine. And uh, Todd, uh, Todd Bowley, uh, essentially replaced Roman Abramovich, um, came in talking about he's that that he's dedicated to a long term plan for Chelsea. However, Chelsea is now on their third manager this year uh, <laughs> with with Lampard. So, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I, long, long-term plans, like those include radical changes that happen early and often, correct? Like, I mean, yeah, talk about giving faith to a coach. Um, if you look at things like, you know, the Kel Arteta, his first year yeah. um, through 28 games. I'm pretty sure that they were in 10th place actually. And mm-hmm. Arsenal fans, I know some of you were doing it, wanted him to be sacked, but they stuck on and now look, you know, they're leading the league. So yeah. it's really comes down to what sort of faith you have in your manager. I would hope that, you know, my club would do the same with 10 hog, of course, but Todd Bowley is a man who wants results and obviously wants them very quickly. He's spent about $600 million since he has come into the club. He has far too many players to the point that some of them were changing outside the dressing rooms before games in the corridors because there wasn't enough room. He's got a lot to work with, and I don't think it's an easy fix. Todd Bowley really just needs to either decide with a manager it's okay if you guys are bad to begin with because you need to work it through or some guy is going to have to trip and fall into all the correct decisions on this and just Mm -hmm. get it right by accident man i don't know uh the premier league is just so volatile this season and you know i the the names i've been tossed around uh for kind of the coming year uh, includes Luis Enrique and uh, the the German coach Nagelsmann. Uh, Nagelsmann. Um, so, um, boy, you know, it, it feels like that's sort of who you were supposed to. Because, guys, God, gosh, who was um, who was that Chelsea before uh, Graham Potter? Who did he replace? So it was uh, Tuchel, who's now the Bayern okay, Munich coach. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So his name is not in the mix. But, Tuchel, um, Tuchel might end up winning a Champions League for the second time joining a team in like January. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, he has he joined Chelsea when they were in the quarterfinals. They won the Champions League. And now he's joined Bayern in the quarterfinals. And I mean, they they made PSG look like a Sunday League team. I he could very well win Champions League with Bayern, and that would be that would be good for them because I mean this has been a, a shaky season for them, and you know uh, Bayern definitely showing that that they can bleed. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the interesting thing about the Bundesliga that I was I was listening to a separate podcast on this, of course, mm-hmm. but the in terms of Bayern as a team as a structure that. You know, the standards are so high that even the threat of not being first or winning everything that season is grounds for firing. And, you know, Nagelsmann was doing well in terms of numbers, but, 
you know, it didn't, they were dropping a game here or there. And to Oliver Kahn and the rest of the board, that's not good enough, which is crazy for standards, you know? Yeah. You're, you could be like, we're in first. Why am I getting, why am I getting sacked? But yeah, it, it's so interesting how high of standards some teams have. And maybe that's another episode we'll do down the line. No, it, it, yeah, for sure. Because, uh, you know, I want to say, you know, between Spain and Germany, there's no other league that really matches uh, in, in terms of how they're run. So, yeah, I'd love to get into that. That would be a good one. So what else do we have? We have that the Arsenal women came back against Man City, which we touched on last week as well, which has become a very close, Super uh, close. race in yes. the women's league. So City scored within 10 minutes, but uh, Arsenal came back, drew even, and then um, eventually pulled out the win. Um, They are now uh, within three points of Manchester United uh, at at the top of the women's league. So don't know how (laughs) (laughs) they are uh, just on fire. And I'm, I'm kind of loving it. If, if there was a Arsenal, women's and men's uh you know cup victories this year i would be all about that i'm i'm super excited how do you uh here's a good question to ask how do you feel about women's teams using their the main stadium you know for the club like you know the women's team using old trafford uh, yeah. the Arsenal women's using the Emirates. What's your opinion on them using that for big games to sort of gain an edge? Um, I think I, <laughs> you know, I, I would say, uh, I, I would love it if, you know, the women's teams could, uh, get, get kind of that, you know, where they could play every game, you know, at their, you know, proper stadiums. I, I I'm not sure what the usual, stadium is for for arsenal's women but um i think yeah for those those big games you want that atmosphere and i'm i'm here for it i think yeah that's that's something that's needed i think they also get great atmosphere even you know sort of like at their standard venues but um yeah i just think that's super cool everyone's gotta have that moment to like enter the field at like a huge stadium and, and get that type of exposure. It's just, I don't know. There's nothing like it. It's I, I think for a lot of athletes, like that is just uh, one of those unforgettable feelings. Yeah. I'd, I'd say I'd agree with that. It's interesting. So, you know, some clubs, I know West Ham, the women's have not played at the main stadium once this season. Wow. Um, the, Man United women's, they have about five or six times now, and they bring in pretty good crowds. I believe the last game brought in about 32,000, which obviously isn't as much as the men's, but I mean, that's still a massive crowd, 32,000. You know, DC United would like, would like that for sure. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. I would love to see if we could, you know, see more better numbers for women's matches in the future because of course the women's game is growing at such a large rate especially recently that you know love to see it and hopefully big shout out to uh 
the England women's international team for their World Cup this summer. Yeah, they're like uh, unbeaten in like 30 games or something like that. That's wild. They just won the first tournament, um, which was last summer. Last summer? Maybe yeah. a bit before that, but won the women's Euros, which was the first tournament or first trophy for England in 60 years. Wild. It's an amazing, amazing achievement. So I'm really excited for. I used to always harp on my friends about how the USA women's team was better than the USA men's team. The England women's team is better than the England men's team. <laughs> and I'm uh-huh. here for it, man. It's awesome. I, I hope Arsenal pulls it out. I mean, God, uh, these uh, kind, of, kind of going towards the men here, but like these last 10 games or so uh, are, are going to be excruciating, especially that city match uh, that's coming up. Um, it, it, I, I love the talk that's been going on around it, you know, about how, you know, when when city is, you know, kind of on their their stuff you know they're full send like there is no one that comes close to them but you know what i kind of like is uh you know kind of is particularly from the pundits is is sort of like the uh begrudging acknowledgement about how well arsenal as a team has been performing and the way that the trust between you know uh arteta and Gabriel Jesus is uh, incredible. You know, you get a guy who gets laid up for like four months or something like that. And uh, he comes back and and Arteta put him in a position to make an impact. And he absolutely did. And I'm just like, oh, that's awesome. So I, I'm just super excited for what's going to be coming <laughs> in Arsenal's way. Hopefully they, they keep it together, but yeah, it's going to be exciting when that whole dynamic between, you know, the, the sort of constant tinkering of Manchester city uh, meets up with the steady consistency of Arsenal and how that's going to play out. I'm, I'm, thrilled. I'm just really excited with uh, Jesus and Zinchenko to get this opportunity to like kind of kind of pip city, you know, and, and say, Hey, you know, you, you, you let go of some good ones. So I'm, I'm thrilled to see that match come up. Yeah. I think it'll be a very interesting couple weeks. Of course, this is the, uh, sort of hell skate part of the schedule for the top of the table and for those, Going near it, of course, I believe it's Arsenal, Chelsea, and Arsenal, Liverpool, and Man City that are all about to play each other over the next couple weeks. So we're definitely going to have to keep keep eyes on that and ch- definitely check the space to see our reactions to it. So I don't have this next part um, in the show notes, but it just kind of dawned on me because there was uh, a little bit of chatter going on about it. But the word coming in uh, through MLS and the Apple partnership is that the subscriptions for the Major League Soccer uh, package um, hasn't quite hit the marks in terms of what Apple is looking for. I, I've heard the figure at kind of like maybe 40% of where they want the subscription numbers to be at the moment. 
Um, there's been talk about just like, is it just a poor product? Is it really kind of like just the early onset of uh, just MLS having like this new deal? Uh, or, you know, do they need to get rid of the salary cap? Do they need to, um, you know, just let teams spend, bring in huge names and just like elevate the product that way. Um, do you, I know I'm kind of spring in this, but you know, what are your thoughts in, in sort of the battle of the soul of MLS? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's two separate conversations. I think that mm-hmm. for one thing that MLS, what they have now, I really actually like the system that they have now. It's very similar to the NFL and it keeps from one team becoming the PSG of the league and just dominating everything that they do. On the other hand, on the Apple deal, I don't think, and apologies, Apple, I don't think Apple has done a good job in the way that they send out their subscriptions. And I say this because I don't want to pay a subscription to watch within a subscription. Well, I don't want to. Yes, that. And I also don't want to pay a subscription to get every game in the MLS. I don't need every game in the MLS. If there was an option to watch every DC United game, I would mm-hmm. pay that. If it was like nine ninety nine, the whole league yeah. is like 15. If that was the option, I would be like, yeah, that's that's nothing. I'll do that. Or Single you know, team package, yeah. Yeah, if it was a team package, I don't, you know, I've I've had it so far this season. I have watched only the DC United games. I haven't watched any other MLS games. Um, can I tell you something? Yeah. Uh so this last weekend was you know, national holiday. It was WrestleMania weekend. Of course. Uh, RIP uh Cody Rhodes career. And Shane um, McMahon's legs. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, this is not a wrestling podcast, but boy, night one, I was uh, we had some friends over on Sunday, and I was like, it was actually um, a close friend of my wife's. Uh, she and her fiance, he's a big wrestling guy. I'm a big wrestling guy, so like they, my wife and her get on Snapchat, and they're talking about like why are we watching WrestleMania and why are we like so into it. And suddenly they kind of like ended, you know, they they ended up at our place on Sunday. But I was like, yeah, that first night, like if I told anyone like to watch a WrestleMania, that's the one to watch. And then Sunday happened and I'm like, ah, never mind. (laughs) Never mind. No, this is not the WrestleMania to watch. There were some good matches on night, too. Uh, I want to say the Sheamus um, McIntyre and uh, Gunther match was fabulous. But um, or was that night one? I'm not sure. That was night two. That was night two. Okay, Uh, that was great. Um, But that's totally beside the point. Going back to MLS, uh, I was watching WrestleMania and MLS at the same time on the second screen. And I was like, this was fantastic because I got to watch a really lame match between DC United and Chicago fire. But I also tuned into the um, Minnesota United and St. Louis match, watched some MLS 360. 
And then um, when I watched the Formula One race uh, in, um, was that Jeddah? Australia. Australia, that's right, with the three red flags. 1 a.m. my time. um, That was awesome. Um, uh, The more I kind of wish Apple took it a step further and where if you were watching MLS 360, that you could click on one of the games that was happening at the same time and go directly to that game and just just switch between them kind of within the viewer, because that's a fabulous thing that formula one does where you can watch the international broadcast the espn broadcast uh you can do individual race cams or you can just put up the big stat board if you want to be that much of a nerd about it but um i was like yeah that's a feature i would love to have you know kind of in a further iteration of mls on apple tv i like that idea yeah i I, i'm sure you know going down we just got to get the right heads into these into these rooms to make these suggestions. Yeah, you know, hey, Tim Apple, I'm Apple. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm here when you need me. My email is somewhere. Reach me on Twitter. But uh speaking of, you know, we're coming up on that last little bit of the show. Uh Tom, this was a fabulous little dive uh into El Clasico. There's so much more to the match and uh excited to see what else comes in the future, especially after just like you know, like we said, kind of this golden generation between those two teams. Um, but Tom, where can the good folks find you? Yeah, guys, so you can find me at TI Ferguson94 on instagram or at snitch mcconnell on twitter a quick shout out to the people that i've started my new job with uh because i told them to listen to this podcast heck yeah love it uh as as for the show you can find it on twitter and instagram at the artful nutmeg uh you can find me on twitter uh at daniel 605 wise and on Instagram at Professor SDFC. And I want to thank you for listening to the show week in and week out. Uh, we're starting, you know, it was a rough start, but I think we're finally like hitting a good stride here. And I'm, I'm really enjoying these episodes now. But uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for your support. And as always, remember to be well and watch more soccer.